Hey everybody, thank you for joining us. My name is Adrian Wright and I am the lead pastor here at Anchor Church Joburg. And uh, we just want to thank you all for joining us online and listening to these messages and uh, tracking with us as we've been working through the book of Romans. It's been an incredible journey so far and we've learned so much. Uh, we saw in the first 11 chapters how Paul just describes the gospel and the grace of God and our righteousness in him so powerfully and uh, from Romans 12 uh, there was a shift as we went into what does this practically look like in your life when you have recognized the grace of God and when his goodness has has become apparent to you and it's changing you from the inside out what are some of those marks of a changed life that you begin to see and so um, we moved into a couple of weeks back into um, from Romans 12 this sub-series called the marks of a changed life or the mark of a life changed by grace. And um, today we're going to continue in that series here in Romans chapter number 13. And uh, we recorded this message live on a Sunday morning. But unfortunately, due to a technical error on that recording, uh, we have come into a studio and, and I'm here today just to be able to share this message with you so that you don't miss out on any part of this incredible series. And so the title of the message that I, I have for you today is The Beauty of of submission. We're looking at Romans chapter 13 and we're looking at the beauty of uh, submission. The last time we were together on the subject uh, from Romans 12, we, we spoke about the gift of self-forgetfulness and how the gift of God's grace in your life, when God's grace is in your life and Jesus' presence is in your life, uh, is that things change and that we are changed and that our attitudes change and that there is a journey and a progression and a freedom where we find true humility and faith and the ability to forget ourselves and become more servant-hearted, more loving, more generous, more forgiving. And all of these things are the effects of Jesus's grace and presence and, and work in your life. It's his involvement. It's his, it's his handiwork. It's his sanctification. And it is something that we uh, would never have been able to do for ourselves. It is a gift of God that we get to live lives where we are no longer the central focus of it all. But instead, we can, we can love others, we can serve others, we can submit to others. And that's really where we pick it up today in Romans chapter number 13, uh, where Paul starts talking about submission. And I'm going to read Romans 13, 1 to you. Um, and uh, he gets really practical. And I love this. I love how the Bible just, you know, it just takes us there. It just expresses and it, and it just deals with every kind of area of human life without, without, you know, asking, being apologetic about any of it, not trying to skirt around any issues. He gets right into uh, authority here in Romans 13, 1. And, and Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Uh, subject, submission, the word submit in our culture, in our day and age, is not a word that we enjoy. It's not a word that, that, that we love to speak about. It's definitely not something that we love to do. And uh, for many people, especially our millennial generation, um, the word submit has become synonymous with the word suppress. We think that submission means suppression. It means that we have to be less important. It means that others get to have one up on us. It means that, that, that we're diminished in our value or in our significance. And so we don't like to submit because we don't like to feel like we're less significant. And, um, and, so, and so 
Paul begins to speak about this. He begins to say that if you've seen the gospel, if you understand what God has done for you, you won't have this issue with submission any longer, and you'll no longer confuse it with the word suppression or the idea of suppression, but instead you will understand the beauty of submission. And that's really what I want to uh, look at today. I remember um, when I was in English class, we had to do a speech in English, an English oral for marks in class. And, and so my teacher gave us the subject, and the subject she gave us was the subject of marriage. And we needed to talk about marriage, and we needed to get up and talk about marriage in this English speech. And um, I got up, and obviously being a Christian at the time, I went straight to Ephesians 5. And I started to talk about uh, what Ephesians 5 talks about, how husbands must love their wives as Christ loved the church. And, and I then got to the little part that says that wives must submit to their husbands um, as to the Lord um, in all things. And, and I spoke about, and I, I used that word submission. And I, I, felt like I, I felt like I killed it. I felt like I did a great job at my speech. But when I was done, the English teacher didn't mention how good my speech was. The only thing that she could say was that she didn't like the word submit. She didn't like the idea or the concept that wives must submit to their husbands. And, and, and I think it's because she, doesn't, she didn't understand the word submit, the beauty of submission, the truth of submission. The, the word submission means sub means under and mission is the mission. It's the purpose. It's the, it's the vision for one's life. And so just like you have submarine, which means under the water or under the sea, in the same way, submission means getting under, getting, you know, uh, supporting the vision of another. And encouraging and, and playing that role. And so it's actually a position that requires a lot of strength, a lot of fortitude, and a lot of grace and, 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 and humility. Because it means that you're no longer trying to enforce your own view and your own vision and your own mission. But you're able to make yourself or put yourself in second place um, in a way that doesn't devalue you but increases your value because you're bringing value to others. It's an incredibly powerful picture. It's a Christ-like thing. It's what Jesus did, and it's what we are called to as Christians. And so in this world, it's not very popular. Uh, we're all about enforcing our rights and, and not having anybody question our views or our opinions and, 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 and standing, taking our stand to live our lives the way that we want to live them. We don't want to submit and nobody must tell us how to live. And, and this is kind of how we live in this world. It's the culture of our world. But the Bible says that authority is a good thing. Having authority in your life is a good thing, and all authority exists from God. It, it is the institution of authority is from God, and, uh, and it exists. Ultimately, Paul goes on to say, to benefit us, to help us, to protect us, to protect the norms and values of our society, to lead us in the right di direction, to, to stop those who would do things that would harm others. And so if you're not out there committing crimes and doing things you shouldn't be doing, you wouldn't have fear for authority. But those that do things that are wrong have rightfully are afraid of authority. Um, but, and, so, and so in this way, authority actually accomplishes God's, uh, God's ends and God's uh, uh, desire for us as a society, um, which is to lead towards the good of all people. And so he says that all authority is from God, and it ultimately exists to benefit us. And, and so I know your objection here. I know what you want to say, because I also live in South Africa, uh, and, and, and I am a South African. I was born in Johannesburg and, and raised in the city. And so 
I know that we live in a country where authority has traditionally been abused. Going all the way back to the apartheid regime and the leadership that abused and oppressed and suppressed the lives of countless people in our nation. And even today, even though we have a democracy and even though we are two decades along into that democracy, we still see the abuse of power, the misuse of funds um, here in our country right now. And and uh, and we know that there is abuse right now um, to the north of us. Our dear neighbors in Zimbabwe are currently trying to deal with what remains of a dictatorial system that has robbed and impoverished the people of Zimbabwe for decades. And so this is the objection that we have to submission. But how do we submit to those that we don't respect? How do we submit to those that abuse and those that misuse and those that do what is wrong? And I want to go ahead, therefore, right up front here and say that all authority is from God. The institution of authority is from God, but the abuse of authority is not. God doesn't ordain or sanction the abuse of authority. In fact, in Scripture, it makes it very clear that God will keep all those in authority or hold all those in authority accountable to how they led and what they did with the authority that was that was given to them as stewards we are only stewards of authority and so whether you are uh, leading in your in your marriage leading in your family leading in your church leading in your government leading in your corporate uh, uh, setup whatever it might be we are called to lead well and to the benefit of those that we lead um, in 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 a way that is loving and compassionate and and protects and blesses those below us because this is the heart of God for authority. This is what godly authority really looks like. In Second Peter, he writes about that and he says that, that, that all elders in the church must lead the flock and God and guide and, and do so compassionately and lovingly, not under coercion or compulsion um, and not, not begrudgingly and, and, and not uh, with a sense of condemnation uh, over people's lives, not lording it over, not lording your authority over those below you, um, but instead um, serving them and honoring them and, and uplifting them as those, he says, that will give an account. So I know that one day in the leading of my church, my family and whatever else it might be, that I will give an account for the way that I have led and, uh, and that's so important to remember. So even though authority is from God, the abuse of authority is not from God. And ultimately, our authority is the word of God. We're never called to blindly obey something that contradicts God's word. And so where we have convictions around the word of God, we will uh, stand on that as opposed to um, betraying what we know is right in our hearts and what we are informed about from Scripture um, in order to obey some civil authority. So even though we obey and, and we submit, we don't do that um, in contradiction to the word. So there is a time to submit. And when there is abuse, perhaps a time to resist. But as always, the question is, what is happening in our hearts? What, what is the attitude of our hearts? Do we live our lives with a culture of honor where we can respectfully even when we disagree, respectfully disagree and honor those in the positions that they that they are in. And in that way, show the nature 
and 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 the you know the, the way of Christ to those that are in authority, even as Jesus was brought into subjection to authority in his own life, and oftentimes was falsely accused, but yet always did so respectfully. Are we able to live our lives with that culture of honor, even when we disagree with those or don't respect those that we are submitting to? Or are we in a very human and in a very selfish way, just simply rebellious and dismissive in our ways, where we feel like we're justified to, to rebel, and so we ultimately use that to just justify whatever action we want to take. Uh, Paul, who wrote this letter, we've got to remember, had every reason to be rebellious. He was imprisoned half the time he wrote these letters. Can you imagine, just for a moment, sitting in a prison for nothing more? He hadn't done anything wrong other than preaching the good news of God's grace, seeing people healed, praying for people, feeding the poor, helping people, starting communities in different cities that can, that can serve that city. And this was his only uh, crime that he had committed. He was stoned. He was, he was pursued. He was persecuted. He was thrown into prison. And then he sits in a dingy dungeon somewhere with a piece of pen and, and, and a paper or, or a piece of paper and a pen. And, and he begins to write to believers outside of that prison saying, hey, everybody, I want you to be in subjection to all governing authority. It's, it seems so ludicrous. You would think that sitting in prison, he would be calling for a rebellion, calling for a mutiny, calling for the people to pour out into the streets and overturn, you know, the, the, the trash cans and like they sometimes do here in South Africa and cause a massive riot. And instead, in prison, falsely accused, being dragged from jail to jail, from governor to governor, on his, all the way on his way to Rome, he sits down and he writes down and he says, I want you to be subject to governing authority. You see, I believe that there's something that happens in your life once you have submitted yourself to Christ that makes you like Jesus. This is the example of Jesus. You see, so submission uh, doesn't mean that you are less important. And this is what Jesus understood. When you've submitted yourself to him, you become like him. And, 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 and he knew, Jesus knew that his value was fixed in heaven. His calling was fixed in heaven. He had a relationship with with the Father, and so, and so submission didn't mean that he was less important or less valuable or less worthy. It may actually meant that he understood his worth and his value and his significance to a greater measure. And therefore, he was able to honor those around him, not on the basis of their honorability, if that's even a word, or their respectability, but on the basis of what he knew in his heart was right. And and, and, and that also means when we are able to do that, that we are more like Jesus, that we become more like him when we take on that attitude. He was, and think about it, he was and is the ultimate authority, the creator of heaven and earth. By his word, all things that were made are made and, and, and all things are held together by the power of his word. And then this creator of all things who pre-existed creation itself, who uh, is eternal and, uh, and, and is God himself then becomes a baby and a little baby that, that then became a child and a teenager that had to submit to parents that had a bath time and a bedtime and a time to eat his vegetables and had to listen to his parents and had to submit to his teachers and to civil authority and, 
Uh, and that's submission on another level. This is what Jesus did. He submitted to all of this authority in his life, even though he was God. And the reason why is because the reason why he could do this is because he was submitted to the Father. He knew his value in the eyes of the Father. He knew that 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 he was right with God and that he was loved by God. And so he had no problem submitting to anyone else. Why? Because earthly structures no longer defined him. You see, when you are defined by your position on the corporate ladder or your position on the church hierarchy or your position in your family or the position in society, then you want to enforce your will because you feel like your value increases as you climb up those rungs of the ladder. But when you know that your, your value is fixed before God, then you are able to submit because these earthly structures don't define you any longer. Our problem with submission, once again, just like we looked at um, in uh, Romans 12, is the problem of pride. It's the problem that we have that we that we are so prideful that we don't want to let others before us. We want to always be first and foremost, and we're not able to submit to others in a loving way. And 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 here in Joburg, that's evident when you get onto the roads. We we live in a city that that has many aggressive drivers. Everybody's in a rush. Everybody wants to get somewhere. And I was born and raised here in Joburg, so I know what it's like. And one thing that you don't do in Joburg, if there is a gap. Um, beside you in the lane next to you and you'd like to change lanes, you don't put on your indicator until the very last moment. In Joburg, we don't really use our indicators because why would you give away your next move? What happens here in Joburg, if you've ever driven here, if you've ever visited here, if you put on your indicator to change lanes, the person, even though he may be 50 meters back, would speed up to ensure that you do not uh, get in front of them because we don't even want to allow others in front of us in traffic, never mind submit to them uh, in other areas of life. And that's just, that's what it's like living in Joburg. I once had somebody uh, hit my rearview mirror because they sped up so quickly to cut me off from coming in front of them uh, in traffic. And, 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 and so it's a hot issue. Uh, and the question is, why, why do we struggle to be the least? Why do we struggle to give way to to let somebody in front of us in traffic, to serve, to be counted amongst the lowly. And I believe it's because deep down we still have not truly come to believe in our eternal significance in Christ. We're not settled yet in our value before Jesus. And so we still think that we win in life by getting the biggest salary or by showing everyone else up or by doing what we want and not having to answer to anyone. We still think that that makes us great people or, or, or people to be respected. And, and our world um, doesn't make it any easier for us because we laud these kinds of people. We, we turn them into heroes and, and role models regardless of their love for others or lack thereof. If you find somebody that just goes out there and takes the world by the scruff of the neck and makes the industry their own and, and, and benefits themselves, we actually celebrate these people and we romanticize their rebellious attitudes. And, and then Jesus comes in and the Bible says that he is lowly and gentle in heart. That's what he spoke about of his own self. He says, I'm lowly and gentle in heart. You can walk with me. You can learn from me. Uh, I have a heart for you. And, and so following Jesus and being like Jesus is honestly the most counter-cultural thing you could possibly do. It is the most rebellious thing that you can do, but the good kind of rebellion, the rebellion that rebels against a world structure that defines people 
and assigns them a value according to what they can do or cannot do. And so if you want to be counterculture, that's counterculture. Being submissive, being lowly, being gentle, being meek, being willing to be the least. There's nothing in this world like that. So we struggle to submit because we're full of pride. We struggle to celebrate the success of others. And, and so we end up living this get ahead at all cost kind of life where we cut corners and we're entitled and, and we complain. And especially millennials, when they've had bad experiences and they're confusing submission and suppression, uh, they, 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 this is how we end up living. And, and all of this comes down to a simple lack of faith. A simple lack of faith, and I'll, and I'll show you why I say so in a moment. But it all comes down to a simple lack of faith. Romans 13.5, Paul continues, and he says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Yeah, he's going to go there. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. There's some freedom in that. There's there's some grace in that. Just just pay what is owed. Just give honor to whom honor is due. Just just give revenue to whom the revenue is owed and taxes to whom taxes is owed and respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. And, and you may hear that and, 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 and I remember reading it and thinking, sure, but, but, but when Paul was writing this, had he ever heard of Nkandla or he, had he heard about abuse of taxes in my nation, because because I know that my tax has been abused and it's been proven that it's that it's gone to the wrong place, and and so I feel justified in not paying my taxes because I know that my government has at times abused the use of the taxes that I've paid. To which Paul, if he was here, would probably answer you and ask you, "Hey, have you heard of a little city called Rome?" Or have you heard of the Roman Empire? Have you heard about how this Roman Empire just marched into every new t territory and just took what it wanted and, 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 and they just claimed taxes to the hilt? They put every person in that new territory under subjection and each one of them had to pay taxes whether they liked it or not. Otherwise, they would endanger their own lives or the lives of their families. And they did all of this to fund the Roman war machine. And they did this to all of these nations, including Paul's very own nation, the nation of Israel, where the Roman government came in, took over Israel and brought the people into subjection, put their own leaders in there and uh, set up tax collectors. And these tax collectors were so hated because Rome had a certain amount of money that they needed to bring in uh, from the people every month. Um, and they said to the tax collectors, you go and collect taxes from your own people and whatever you can get out of them additionally above what we need, you can keep for yourself. And so the tax collectors using the authority of Rome, which was an absolute authority at that time from a governmental sense, went in and then they charged the people three or four times what Rome wanted and just pocketed the rest of the money for themselves. That's why the tax collectors were thieves. They were thugs um, in Jesus's day. And it's so amazing that those are the kinds of people that Jesus hung out with. Uh, but the point is that 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 Paul had as much reason as anybody else to say that we should withhold our taxes when we feel that the government is doing what is wrong. He 
was living under the Roman Empire, and and uh, and, and and yet he still calls for us to do what is right. This is the same reason why the Pharisees um, were so indignant when they came to Jesus, and, and they were expecting him to be a messiah that would liberate them from the roman government in a political sense and so they came to jesus to test him and they they said to him well um, should we pay taxes to caesar and so uh, jesus takes one of the coins and sees caesar's face on the coin and in matthew twenty two twenty one he says render to caesar the things that are caesar's and to god the things that are god's in other words yes pay your taxes, pay what's due, honor God, do what's right. And this upset them because they wanted to be in rebellion. They felt justified in their rebellion. But the point is that our culture of honor, our culture of submission, our culture of love is not based on the worth of the one that we're submitting to, but to the God that we belong to. We honor others because we honor God. We serve others because we serve God. We love others because God has loved us. And so we are never going to base our honor or our submission on the, 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 the respectfulness or the honorability um, of the person that we're honoring. We're doing it simply because we know that it's right and it's who we are. It's who God has caused us to be. In Romans 12 16, we covered this in the last session, but it says, Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Listen to this, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't repay evil. So people might be doing what's evil, but that doesn't mean that you can do evil in return. Give thought instead to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You see, that takes a lot of grace. That's not human. That, you know, to, we, we naturally want to repay evil for evil, but he's saying here, don't repay evil for evil. So if the government misuses your taxes, it doesn't mean that you're justified in withholding them. That makes you as guilty as what they are. Instead, we can owe no one anything. We can just pay what's due and there's freedom. We can, we can love each other for the one who loves one another has, has fulfilled the law. And there is a freedom in knowing that you have given what you should have given. I remember a time when I was young in ministry and uh, didn't have a lot of money, moved into a new house, and this house needed curtains or blinds, and so I worked out the cost, and I figured out that that blinds were going to be cheaper, and so I had blinds installed throughout my whole house, and um, didn't really have the money to pay for it. It was really going to be tough for me to pay the bill, but I know, knew that I had to do it, and so got them installed, and um, and the, the man who installed the blinds never sent me an invoice. And so I thought, man, this is great. He forgot to invoice me. I'm, it's not my business, his business. If he's not going to invoice me, I don't need, I'm not going to pay uh, if, if he's not going to invoice. And so I'm not going to phone him and ask him if I can pay him. Uh, that's up to him. And, and so I was like, that's amazing. And, and months went by and I hadn't paid for my blinds. And I thought, how incredible is that? I have free blinds. Um, although every time I saw the blinds, I kind of felt like they were there to cover up my shame because I knew that I hadn't paid for them. Um, and so I felt like I'd forgotten about it a while later. And, and months later, I was sitting in my office at church and another pastor was in the office with me. And, um, and all of a sudden, I saw through the window, the same man who had installed the blinds at my house was at church to install some blinds. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I owe this guy money. Now he's here and I immediately said to the pastor, don't bring that guy into my office um, because I owe him money. It, it was so heavy on my conscience. And this is what the scripture says. We, we submit and we do what's right, not just to do what's right in the eyes of God, but also for the sake of our own conscience. And uh, even though I felt like I'd forgotten about it, 
it all came rushing back to me the moment I saw this guy. And, and so this pastor in my office, he's one of those guys that whenever you tell him not to do something, uh, he would just go out and do it. And so he brought the guy into my office. And so I stood up and said, oh, hi, I'm Adrian. I don't know if you remember me, but I owe you money. Can you just give me your email address right now? I'll just, just invoice me. I'll pay you right now. And, and the, I just had to confess and I had to come, come out with it. And, and I did pay for those blinds eventually um, and actually felt a lot better for having done that. I, I knew that it was something that I, I needed to do, and I knew that it was the right thing for me to do. Um, and once I had done it, I felt free. I felt that I didn't owe anybody anything except to love them. And that's just a better way to live. And so we are able to, to do that and, uh, and, and experience the blessing um, of that. Um, so so this is, here's why submission and doing what we need to do is really an issue of faith. What do we believe in? And do we trust God? Because when you have faith in Christ, then two things. Number one, your identity is no longer wrapped up in getting ahead. You're no longer just trying to cut corners and get ahead and, and, and make yourself you know, the most important person. You, you can actually freely submit to others knowing that your, your, your value is fixed. So you can be the least and you don't have to insist on, on having things your way. And the second part is because you know that God provides for you. So you can do what's right. You can play the long game. You can, you, you can take the long road. Like C.S. Lewis said, the, the longest way around is the shortest way home. You can be patient because you know that ultimately God is at work. Ephesians 5.15 and 21 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's when we have faith in Christ and we revere him that we're able to submit to each other. All authority, if all authority is from God, I can submit myself freely because ultimately I'm submitting myself to him. Because I trust him and I trust in his love for me. And that is the beauty of submission. The beauty of submission is that it's actually a statement of faith. It's actually a statement of our reverence for Christ. It's a declaration that we trust that our lives are in God's hands. And so we don't need to force our way ahead in life. Instead, we can submit our way ahead. It means that we can stop cutting corners, stop sacrificing our integrity, stop uh, stealing and, 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 and doing uh, things that, are, that, are in, that, that um, have a lack of integrity in order to try and get ahead. I remember hearing the story of, of, of a guy who stole stationery from his office. And, um, and he was putting some of the, the pens and the stapler and things that he found on his desk in his bag and taking it home. And another employee saw him do this and confronted him and said, why are you taking the office stationery? And he said, well, this is a massive company. They make millions every year. And I'm sure that they're not going to miss the stuff I just put in my bag. It's, it's, it's like not even $5 worth of stuff that I've taken. And so the, the employee that caught him looked at him and said, so is that what your integrity is worth to you? Less than $5. Would you sacrifice your integrity to make a quick buck? And ultimately, it's not worth it. Ultimately, we can rather do what's right because we're honoring God and we're, we're, we're keeping our integrity intact. And so pay your taxes, pay your debts, honor your commitments because ultimately God will honor you and God will take care of you. Matthew 6, 25, such a great reminder. I'm going to end on this. But Matthew 6, 25, 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In other words, do you understand your value in the eyes of the Father? Do you understand your value? Because if you understand your value in the eyes of the Father, then you will trust and believe. When you know how much He loves you, you will trust and believe in Him, and you won't be anxious about your life, and you won't be trying to make a way for yourself. Instead, you will submit and you will honor and you will wait on God to do those things for you. So the question is, do we trust God enough to play the long game, to take what looks like a temporary setback in order to do what's right and, and, and to win long term? Do we understand that God will honor us when we honor him and trust in him with all of our hearts? You see, this means that we can be free from anxiety, free from fear, free from self-love and selfishness. And instead, we can walk in love, we can walk in freedom, and we can walk in honor. And that is the beauty of submission. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. And, and, and I hope that this has spoken to your heart. I hope that, that you can be more convinced of the love that God has for you and that you can start to, to see some of these things change in your own life. I believe that God is with you. His Spirit is working. And He is, all, he is causing all of us to become more like Jesus. I trust that this blessed you in your life. Uh, we will move into Romans 14 from here on. And uh, there's some powerful things that we're going to be dealing there uh, with there in Romans 14 and 15. So look out for that. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.